Well, welcome to Crossroads. We're blessed to have you with us this morning. And uh, if you're new today, we'd love the opportunity to connect with you, to give you a free gift. So come on over to Next Steps after service, and uh, I'll be back there. And I'd love to chance to, to say hello if you're online joining us today. We're glad that you're with us, and we'd love the chance to connect with you as well. So if you go to our website, ccmonline.org, you'll see a tab that says I'm new. And if you go right there, then uh, you can just follow the prompts, and it will connect the two of us together, and we can answer any questions that you might have about Crossroads. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of God knows what each and every one of us needs. 
individually, corporately. Um, I want to share uh, that just kind of brought a thought to my mind about this past week. Uh, I had a conversation with Pastor Carlo uh, from Haiti, and um, Pastor Carlo, uh, one of the pastors in Mayer, which is Mayer's kind of our main school and church that we work with in Haiti, uh, the church in Mayer, the administrator of the school, Pastor Moise, he got kidnapped uh, by a gang, in um, which is pretty common right now in Haiti. And uh, I was uh, talking with Pastor Carlo. We prayed. Uh, they were asking for a half a million dollars. And um, anyway, it doesn't the, the number part doesn't matter. Uh, within 24 hours, we prayed. Within 24 hours, because you know Carlo and I were talking about it and. We talked about a lot of the things that are on your, you're thinking about right now. Anyway, um, you know, it's just something you hold before God. You do what you can and you hold before God. Within 24 hours, Pastor Moist was back with his family. So we can thank God for that. Unhurt. Actually, his, his wife had initially been kidnapped with him, and they released her right away because it's all about, it's really all about money for the, for the most part. It's so desperate in Haiti right now. But know this, you know, even as uh, Carlo and I were praying, and we were going to share all this with you guys, but it transpired so quickly, and he was released so quickly. We had some of you knew about it, um, but thank God that it didn't even get to that place. But, um, you know, there are those places, a lot of places in our life um, that we come to that place, and, and, and we just know, God knows what we need we, I, you don't even know how to negotiate in certain situations. You don't know how to work through it. You have to just trust God, right? And um, anyway, we're just so grateful for that. But God knows just as much as Pastor Moise needed uh, God to do something powerful in, on his behalf and his family and also for the churches in Haiti and also for us, know that, that God is looking at your life the same way. You may not be kidnapped or in bondage in that way, obviously, today, but there are things that you have need of and know that God sees that. And I want to uh, talk, this is our last Sunday on our life series, so we started uh, the week after Easter, the week after the resurrection, and we went in, there's this space in between the resurrection and Pentecost, which is next Sunday on the church calendar, we celebrate uh, the... the uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, spoken about in the book of Acts chapter 2. But anyway, we wanted to focus on different lives of, uh, and story of individuals kind of in the in-between. And there's this one story that I think can be really helpful. They're all helpful, right? But this story, I think, is kind of misinterpreted. Uh, this person's life, I think, uh, this person gets a little bit of a bum rap and I think part of the reason that this person gets a little bit of a bum rap is because we kind of want it to be a certain way. And we try to create our faith in a formulaic way. But I think this person represents a way that uh, kind of pushes against the formula. And we don't know a lot about this person. This person is Thomas. Uh, some of you might know Thomas is Doubting Thomas. That's not a biblical name. That's not like... Uh, that's not something that Jesus called Thomas. Uh, somewhere along the line, uh, Christ followers especially started calling Thomas Doubting Thomas because Thomas wanted to touch Jesus' side. 
He wasn't there when the disciples initially had seen Jesus, so he was just saying, well, I'd like to see that too, basically. We don't even know if Thomas actually touches Jesus' side. We're going to read about that here in a second. But anyway, it's powerful. And I would, I would uh, challenge all of us to maybe consider Thomas's life a lot like our life. And that instead of those questions, and instead of uh, some of the uncertainty in our life being something that we're afraid of, maybe understand that that could quite well be one of the powerful invitations into, pr- into Christ's presence in your life and mine. That understand this without doubt. See, doubt and faith are not opposing forces. Some of you might think that doubt and faith are opposing forces. The reality of it is, is without uncertainty, there is no such thing as faith. Do you understand? You apply faith into the void of uncertainty, into the place where you don't know for sure. It's God territory. That's where faith gets applied. If you touch the side of Jesus, literally when Thomas was in the room with Jesus, in some ways his faith kind of got destroyed around that issue. It ended. I don't, I don't, destroyed might be too strong of a word, but he didn't have to have faith anymore around that because Jesus came to him. But then there would be other uncertainties, I'm sure, in Thomas's life like there are in yours. And so it goes. But Thomas didn't need faith for that anymore because he saw Jesus. Does that make sense? So don't think when you've heard, maybe you've lived a lot of your Christ. Uh, Christian life, thinking that there's this opposing force. And in some ways, there's good reason for it. There's a couple of scriptures that I think, and we'll touch on one or two of them today, that get approached, in my opinion, in a way that is uh, kind of American and unhealthy, quite frankly. That we say, we hear certain things, and we think it means something that it really doesn't mean, and hopefully I can help us all understand that a little bit better. I would just say this, There's nobody here in this room, online, or in the world that doesn't have some uncertainty and doubts. If they tell you they don't have any uncertainty and doubts, they're just not being fully honest. Everybody doubts. Everybody has uncertainties. Everybody's wondering with the chaos in the world about stuff. And there's things that you and I can't explain, therefore, faith enters. So let's pick it up here in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, not doubting, it means the twin. One of the 12 was not one of the 12 who was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. See, doubt gets eliminated, and so does, in a way, faith in that moment. There's no longer a need for Thomas to have faith in what the disciples had said. He's now living the reality. And so it goes. 
Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now this is uh, kind of something that we can miss. This is actually the first, as far as we know, the first public proclamation and confession of Jesus both as Lord and God. It's done by Thomas. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. I love what Frederick Beekner says. He says, almost nothing that makes any real difference can be proved. Almost nothing that makes any real difference can be proved. Which is a very similar statement to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven sixteen a without faith, it is impossible to please God. One of those statements that kind of become hard for us. We'll talk about it more in a minute. I want to talk to you about a a few of the not-so-hidden treasures that come with uncertainty or doubt. There are opportunities in all of your questions. God is faithful. There is the treasure of greater trust. It is an uncertainty that we're invited to trust Jesus more deeply. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. He said that we know in part, but someday we'll see fully, right? See, faith is required as long as uncertainty and doubt is present. That's when I need faith. When I need faith is when I have some uncertainty. There's something beyond what I can do or you can do or we can do together. And it's in that place we invite God into that place. So it calls for greater trust. Have you ever had anyone say to you, or maybe you've said this before, uh, and maybe you're saying this today, I can't be a Christian because I still have doubts. Well, I assure you that there isn't a Christian, again, that is honest, that doesn't have doubts, that doesn't have some uncertainty in their life, that hasn't experienced things that they just can't fully explain. They may not tell you. They may not be honest around it because they may think that somehow that's displeasing to God. But God, Jesus doesn't seem dissatisfied with Thomas. I think you can read that scripture falsely to think that Jesus somehow is unsatisfied with Thomas. Jesus showed up to fulfill what Thomas was asking for. He just went on and said, you're going to need faith for a whole lot more. And there's going to be a lot of other people, as Claire said, like us, that won't have the privilege of being in this room. And they're going to need a lot of faith. So when Paul says, I know in part, this is, more, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I have also been fully known. I see in part. That's what the Apostle Paul says. In other words, he's saying, I'm uncertain about some things because I don't see everything. I still have some doubts. I still have some uncertainties. Was Paul doubtful about his relationship with Jesus? No. Did Paul have questions and uncertainties? Yes. That's what he's saying. We're seeing in part. 
but then we'll see fully. What about this scripture, Hebrews 11, where it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's troubling, isn't it? If, if you start to think that maybe I should pay more attention to the uncertainties in my life. Maybe I should pay more attention to the doubts that I have because maybe God is wanting to meet me in that space. Maybe that's my space to touch the side of Jesus. And I'm trying to push that moment away by trying to ignore the questions that I have. For some reason, I'm afraid of those because I don't want to displease God because it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But let me assure you, without faith, it's impossible to please anyone. You do realize that. You can't have a friend without faith because faith is trust. You can't be married to your spouse without having faith in them. It's impossible to please your spouse without trusting them and having faith in them. It's impossible to be a parent of a child without trust. It requires faith. The other day after the, the shooting in Texas, do you know how much faith had to be applied to the parents that the next day had to send their children back to school? There was a lot of faith that was required and will continue to be required. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Think of it this way. My faith is my trust, the level. That's how how my trust and my faith is built is God meets me in the uncertainty and my heart begins to expand. My trust for God deepens. I'm not afraid of the questions because I see I have a deeper faith and a deeper trust because God keeps meeting me in the uncertainties of life and I get to touch Jesus' side. The second treasure is that it's an opportunity for deeper humility. Look at somebody by you and just tell them you are not God. You are not God. They, I, I, I hope they understand that. You are made in the image of God, but you are not God. Now, maybe this is me, but I, I think it's probably a lot of people, maybe all of us. Did you ever notice that some people would be better Christians if they had a little bit more doubt and uncertainty? Let me say that again. Have you ever noticed that there are certain Christians that if they had a little more uncertainty and doubt, they'd be better Christians? Have you ever been? Is it just me that has met those people? There's this joke, St. Peter's at the gate. He's interviewing the newcomers. This guy comes to the gate and Peter's reading his paperwork. He says, oh yeah, I see here that you're a believer. Yep, yep, that's good. He says, however, as I go on in your paperwork, I see you skip the part about not being a jerk, right? So when we, we pretend that we're so certain and have no questions about anything, all we come off as is uncompassionate sometimes mean-spirited. 
John Ortberg, when he talks about the Job and the book of Job and has a conversation around doubt, one of his writings, he says this, Job is a book of white-hot doubt, and Job is the main doubter. He doubts God's character. Chapter 19, verse 6, Know that God has wronged me, Job says, and has drawn his net around me. Job goes on. He doubts God's goodness. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in the poison. Chapter 6, verse 4. He charges God with absence and silence. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. Chapter 30, verse 20. However, Job's friends are certain of God's presence and God's ways. Now, there's nothing wrong... Hopefully we all understand that God is present and we do understand some of God's ways. He says, John Ortberg says, their faith is really muscular. They try to speak on behalf of God to Job to cure Job's doubt. Yet when God speaks in chapter 42, verse 7, he seems to be on Job's side. He's angry with Job's friends. And he says, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Somehow, in the midst of Job's turmoil and honest confusion and his doubting and exposing his heart to God, God affirms his heartbreak and promises to meet Job there. If you know the end of Job, God says, I will meet you in that place, Job. Job lived in uncertainty. In all our doubts, in all our uncertainties, let us be a people that humbles ourselves and trusts in God's love. Amen? Then there's the treasure of healthy curiosity. Just this desire to be intellectually honest as opposed to just trying to be comfortable with everything. Going back to Thomas' story in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about telling the disciples, don't let your heart be hardened or don't let it be troubled. Trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some of you are familiar with the scripture. And then he says to the disciples, including Thomas, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. And then I I can imagine it just being silent. Maybe it wasn't. But you ever been there when you had questions, but you were almost intimidated to ask them because you didn't want to come off as that guy? I'm surprised Peter doesn't say anything or that girl. You don't want to be the one that, you know, here I go again. I'm going to ask this question that everybody's probably thinking, but nobody wants to say. Thomas was that guy. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And that's where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Healthy curiosity. Thomas was curious. He was passionate about his relationship with Jesus. And we're invited to be passionately curious, honestly curious. I had a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine years ago that was really coming against something that was going on in the greater church. And he got up and I was in a room of, I don't know how many pastors, I'd say about 100 pastors. And 
he was teaching, and he really came against this one kind of move that was going on in the church. And when it was over, I pulled him aside and I said, have you ever, um, I just have a question, have you ever read anything that they talk about at that, in the midst of that move in that, those churches? No. Have you ever heard a talk? Have you ever heard any of the leaders talk? No. And we just went from one question to the other. And I said, aren't you just curious about finding out about why are we afraid to be curious? We're not afraid to, we're not afraid to accuse, but we're very afraid to be curious. Thomas is honestly curious. See, what we have to pay attention to is sometimes avoidance is healthy, right? Sometimes reading certain things or not reading certain things is healthy. Sometimes avoiding looking at certain things and, you know, some of them are obvious, but then there's things it's like, why are we so afraid at times in the church of being honestly curious? Are we afraid that possibly Jesus isn't right? So if we keep avoiding certain things, certain questions, then we can keep saying Jesus is right. Jesus didn't seem to be so concerned like we are around this. Dallas Willard, he put it this way. He said, followers of Jesus are required to pursue truth wherever it leads them. In other words, in the same way that we, we are passionately pursuing Jesus, we should be passionately pursuing truth. Because this is what Jesus said. In John eight thirty two. he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in John 16, 13, when he The spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide you in all truth. If Jesus is the truth, we don't need to be afraid of somebody convincing us that Jesus isn't the truth. Which leads to the last thing. And it's the beauty of the treasure of loving transformation. Again, back to Thomas in John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus raising from the dead. I don't have this on slide, but some of you, most of you maybe are familiar with the story. John chapter 11. So Lazarus dies. Jesus stays away with the, with the disciples for a couple more days. And we pick it up in verse five or verse six. I'll go to five. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. And yet you are going back there. In other words, the disciples are, they're afraid. And Jesus is saying, well, we're going to go back and, you know, Lazarus is going to raise from the dead. They're kind of confused. They think that Jesus is saying that Lazarus is just sick. So they're like, hey, let's just let him get better on his own. Jesus is like, no, we really need to go. 
Skipping down some, verse 14, it says, So then he told the disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. So you'll trust more. So you'll be more courageous. But let us go to him, and they're afraid. Then Thomas, called Didymus, not the doubter, but the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. This is really powerful stuff. This is faith. This is loving transformation. Understand this. Faith and faithfulness always will outdo, exceed, or trump certainty. The two best decisions of my life I made when I was 17 and 18 years old. They were decisions of faith. When I was 18, I gave my life to Jesus, said I'm all in. When I was 17, I proposed to Claire. We would get married when I was 18, she was 18. But imagine, imagine Claire and I going through our wedding vows and me saying something like this, Claire, let's face it, we're really young and we can't be certain this is going to work out. We both have a lot of doubts. Our families definitely have a lot of doubts. But I'm going to do my best. I'm going to I'm going to commit to give at least 90% because I think that my level of certainty like is equivalent to about a 90% commitment here. Yikes. That would not be a good idea, would it? Because it's not about certainty. Relationships are never about being certain. Instead, it was more along the lines of this. All I am and all that I have, I commit to you, which was, wasn't much. I, I understand. Exactly. For richer, for poorer, in good times, in bad, in sickness and in health, I am all in. Faithfulness and faith, believing, will always trump all of those other things. But you and I are on this wondrous journey with God who wants to broaden and build our trust in God and our faith in God and our understanding of God. And that is the fertile ground where it happens. 
it goes that way in our relationships, and it goes that way in our relationship with God. Oh, yeah, by the way, getting back to Thomas one last time, we don't know a lot about Thomas after the resurrection. We've got a few historical pieces that we know about, and then there's church tradition to kind of supplement that. What we do know is Thomas became what many of us would know as a missionary. Thomas went to the country of India and may have, out of all the disciples, gone the furthest distance to reach people that didn't know Christ. He would give his life sharing his faith. Church tradition says that while Thomas establishing a church in India, he was speared in the side. Establishing a church in Jesus' name. I don't know if the spirit in the side is true, but wouldn't it just sound like God to be in that space? Not that God would, don't hear what I'm not saying, God would not spear Thomas in the side, but wouldn't it just be like God to be with Thomas when Thomas was ultimately proving his faith? For Jesus. In all my doubts, in all my uncertainties, I humble myself and trust in God's love. In all of our doubts, in all of our uncertainties, we humble ourselves and trust in your love, O oh God. darkness fills my senses when my blindness keeps me from your touch Jesus come when my as we pray the prayers of the people and then we'll come back and continue to sing that song. We want to give you a way to bring doubts and uncertainties to God and humility. We're going to give you this opportunity to allow God to bring faith and trust in the midst of all we've been facing in our world this week. And... um, As a person who had a family member who was killed by gun violence, I want to say that um, I don't know if I would take these things so personally. Um, So I wonder what it's like to be you. Do you take these things into your own hearts in ways that we say, God, um, what happened this week 
we have some doubts and uncertainties. And we need to know how you want us to be present for people in this moment. So even if it's never affected you personally, it's affected you, your community, your people. And I want to listen to God's voice um, and be curious and not be afraid that maybe some of my own ideologies and philosophies might get changed as I allow myself to enter into the suffering of other people. As I look at our world and I might say, oh God, what do you want our world to look like right now? And what can we do to be a part of healing our world? And so Don's going to lead us with the prayers he's written today. Amen. So we write these prayers of the people together each week. Sometimes Pastor Clara writes some, sometimes I do, sometimes other people. And when we talked about it this week and... Pastor Claire said, will you, write, will you write this week? I said, yes, but I, I'll admit it's going to be a bit of a lamentation, uh, a bit of prayers where we can be honest with the, the difficulty and the hurt that we might be feeling as we pray. And I want you even to know, I was thinking about during the service, some of the songs we sang, we, maybe you were thinking, why are we singing about songs of joy? And, and they seem upbeat. Sometimes it's for a couple reasons. One, it's so that we can reset our very souls each week, that we can say, God, maybe we're not sure we have the faith, but help our unbelief as we sing it. And we're also training our children. And we know that our children suffer enough trauma in the world they live in, and we don't want to add to that. So we help them to learn to sing and worship God, even in weeks that don't seem super happy, because we help them to learn that happiness is not joy. Joy is understanding who God is and how much God loves us. So anyway, you didn't need that teaching because you just had a really good one, but I thought I would share that anyway. Creator of the universe and all that is within it, today we have been reminded that uncertainty is a major part of life and that as we can trust you, we are better able to see the joy that comes from you amid our sorrow. But there are moments when we ask, how long, O Lord? How much longer must we watch children and families and communities be confronted with violence, as we have seen this week in Elvade, Haiti, and so many other places in our world? And so let's just take a moment of silence for the lives that have been lost this week. Let's pray this together. In all our doubts and uncertainties, we humble ourselves and trust in your love. Loving one, let this be a day and a week where we experience your transforming love. In that love, let us find hope, an indescribable hope and an indescribable love. We are weary and we believe that we can find our strength in you. In, in all, all our, our doubts and uncertainties, we humble ourselves and trust in your love. God, we thank you for those who you have created to be protectors and healers. Let them experience your rest and transformation this week. 
Give them all that they need to continue to serve our communities. In In all all our doubts and uncertainties, we humble ourselves and trust in your love. Teaching one, we ask that you would refresh all those that teach us, from the youngest to the oldest. Renew their passion to share knowledge as well as love. In moments of fear and exhaustion, let them be encouraged and strengthened by you and all those around them. All our doubts and uncertainties, we humble ourselves and trust in your love. Now, thinking of those around us, we lift the names of those who have experienced exhaustion this week. If you can think of anyone, lift those names. And we also lift the names of, the, of all those who are dealing with illness. And Would lift you all up. even name Morgan today as a part of our congregation who's battling cancer? And all our other friends say their names out loud. together. In all our doubts and uncertainties, we humble ourselves and trust in your love. Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are always with us. Help us all experience the joy of your presence in a new and greater way. And may these words from Romans chapter 8, let these words of scripture be our guide. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Oh. 
you friends in the name of Jesus we're trusting that as you walk out the door you're actually going to bring a greater trust of God with you on Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday all week long 
Bless you. We'll see you next week.